0: Welcome to the Everything USC podcast on Believe, the number one content network for professionals, the place to find a sports or pop culture show for passionate fan bases across multiple platforms. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? I'm your host, Nara Wang, and in episode 60, I welcome back Matt Zemek, who covers USC athletics for USA Today Sports as editor of the Trojans Wire website. Matt. How pumped up are you for USC football to start up again?
1: Oh, it's, you know, it's such a difference from 12 months ago, right? Like last year at the beginning of the season, it was just, can we fire this guy already? You know, can we move on? Can we turn the page? And, you know, thankfully Mike Bone did that two weeks into the season. He read the room. He understood the donors and the boosters and the fans that like they were not going to come to the Coliseum as long as Helton remained in power. And then, of course, firing Helton two weeks in the season—you know—a lot of the national media, understandably, said, "Gee, clown show. You know, that's not your how you're supposed to treat a coach. I mean, you should have fired him at the end of the previous season, and maybe he should have. But the fact that he did fire him after week two, as opposed to waiting until Thanksgiving—you know—that gave him the time to court Lincoln Riley, and that move obviously paid off with the grand slam home run, one of the most amazing hires in college football history and so usc even though it was four and eight last year the trojans have pac-12 championship expectations new year's six bowl expectations it's all right there and so how can you not be excited for what's in store for usc this year
0: and of course if you enjoy listening to the everything usc podcast You can subscribe, download, and rate it wherever you get your favorite podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, TuneIn, and more. Or go right to the website at Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media, at Believe Network. For me, you can find and follow me on Twitter, at Narawang Sports, that's N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Matt, how do they catch up with you and Trojans Wire?
1: Trojanswire.usatoday.com, and uh, I want to just mention our special summer series uh, that we recorded. It's called the Riley Files. We, we recorded 12 different episodes. It was four hours of conversation with an Oklahoma insider named Keegan Renault. Four hours of conversation, we chopped them into 12 20 minute episodes with producer Ian Hest. And you know we've been then you know taking the various quotes and insights from that series and putting it into a lot of our written content. At Trojans wire, you want a primer on Lincoln Riley? The Riley files is our attempt to really go deep. Again, four hours of conversation. We've been sharing our podcast. We, we tuck the links into our various posts each day. You get a Riley files link, you know, on most of them. So that's just something. If you've missed it and for listeners to this podcast, that is definitely something you want to follow throughout the season as you try to learn more about USC's new head coach, Lincoln Riley.
0: The Everything USC Podcast is brought to you by Bet Online, the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports, contests, and events with first-to-market odds and lines. Find reviews and news for every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information from live in-game betting, props, and futures. Head to BetOnline today or use your mobile device to join today and make your first sports bet. Use our promo code BELIEVE50, B-L-E-A-V-5-0, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. As Matt was saying, what a difference a year makes for the vibe around the USC football team. In 2021, we were all waiting for that inevitable firing of Clay Helton, and fans were miserable watching a team that would end up with a 4-8 record. But in 2022, the Lincoln-Riley era is about to kick off, and expectations are already sky high for what the former Oklahoma head coach can do to revive the Trojans. Besides the coaching staff, fans have a lot of new players to get to know, and that's where I'd like to begin this season preview. Matt Zemek, when you were on the show back in February, we discussed the Riley hiring and some early transfer portal moves. For the opener against Rice, SC will start a transfer at quarterback, running back, and every wide receiver position, according to the first depth chart released. What do you think of all the new additions to the roster?
1: I think what stands out is that two things. One, you have elite star power. Caleb Williams, Jordan Addison, Travis Dye. So you you have you know top of the line players to immediately plug into the starting spots and provide a massive talent upgrade. So when people say, "Well, USC was four and eight last year," Trojans really aren't going to be able to do all that great this year. If you look at the front line talent, if those guys stay healthy, there certainly is the front line you know he- banner headline talent uh, to get this team a Pac-12 championship. But then the other part of this is look at all look at the quantity of players that Lincoln Riley brought in through the transfer portal and especially at wide receiver. Like that is an extremely deep wide receiver room. Like there there should be no questions about the depth of that particular unit. USC's offense is built to score tons of points right now. The only real question on the offense, Nara, and I think USC fans whether they're optimists or whether they're skeptics, they would agree. If the starting offensive line stays healthy, if those guys up front, Voorhees, Neilan, Dietrich, you know, if they stay healthy and USC doesn't have to go very deep on the depth chart on the offensive line this year, if that one thing holds in place, that offense is going to be great. It's not going to be good. It's not going to be moderately above average. It's going to be great. The offensive line, if it holds together, you have the amazing skill position talent. USC should be a 40 points per game offense this season if that offensive line does not encounter a significant injury. You know the one really big uh, question on the offensive line as, as we enter the Rice game in week one is that left tackle battle between Portland Ford, who you know will probably be the starter against Rice, probably get a majority of snaps, and the Virginia transfer Bobby Haskins. Let's say one of those guys gets hurt though. The other guy can step in and you probably aren't going to get too much of a drop-off, you know, Ford and the depth chart has it Ford or Haskins. So it's not as though Ford is like the clear, obvious number one guy. I think it's more a case of Bobby Haskins just hasn't displaced Ford. So Ford gets the nod by default, but if you have an injury there, like it's obviously a concern because of the depth that's behind them. But if at the other four Positions where you have an established, unquestioned starter. If there are no injuries to those other four spots along the offensive front, man, this offense is going to cook in 2022.
0: Yeah, I don't think people have too many questions about this offense. Like you said, it's all about the offensive line holding up. And again, some of these transfers, Travis Dye, the running back from Oregon, Austin Jones, the other top running back on the depth chart from Stanford, Brendan Rice, son of the Football Hall of Famer Jerry Rice comes from Colorado. Mario Williams follows his quarterback in from Oklahoma. Jordan Addison, the Bolitnikoff Award winner, comes in from Pittsburgh. And as you mentioned on the front line, Bobby Haskins, the Virginia transfer. So a lot of new faces to get to know. And no surprise that Jordan Addison was a first-team preseason All-American, but Maybe a little bit of surprise that left guard Andrew Voorhees was named AP, first team All-American.
1: Are you surprised at that? Not really. I think fans and a lot of uh, observers across the nation are surprised by it. But we have to remember about this USC offensive line. And, you know, as much as we all don't like Clay Helton generally, we have to give him a small bit of credit here. You know, he fired Tim Drevno as the offensive line coach after the 2020 season. And he put in Clay McGuire. Now, Clay McGuire had experience teaching the air raid under Mike Leach at Washington state. So like that was an appropriate move, you know, we, we, and we can ha- hate the air raid. I mean, like there's nothing wrong with hating the air raid, but if USC was going to run the air raid as it did in 2021, you needed an air raid offensive line coach. And so Clay Maguire, knowing that he was probably going to be there for just one year, you know, because Clay Helton was you know almost certain to be fired. Clay Maguire in his one year on the USC staff as offensive line coach, He brought that unit along. It started slowly. It wasn't a great offensive line by any means, but at the very end of the year, particularly that BYU game, the night before Lincoln Riley was hired, USC's offensive line looked pretty good. And USC's offensive line was able to run block at a reasonable level. So Clay McGuire did a good job. It was just such a quiet story because the defense was atrocious and the team was generally lackluster, but that offensive line did develop positively. During the 2021 season, you just didn't get a lot of national buzz because USC was so bad as a team. So I think a lot of fans or casual observers might wonder, wait, USC's offensive line starters are good? Well, they improved a lot over the course of the 2021 season under Clay McGuire. And now you get Josh Henson in there as offensive line coach within Lincoln Riley's offense, they should be even better. So just the evolution of USC's offensive line was a naturally underplayed 2021 story. That is something that a lot of people have been missing, and for for understandable reasons, I might add.
0: Now, the question about USC's team is going to be on the other side of the ball, the defense. Alex Grinch, the new defensive coordinator, following Lincoln Riley in from Oklahoma. He has experience in the Pac-12, former Washington State D. Coard as well. He'll be in the spotlight because. We know USC can score, but can they keep the other team from scoring? So what is the key for the Trojans to have a successful D this season?
1: You know, the big concern all starts on the defensive front. And, you know, for people listening to your podcast, Nara, USC fans have almost certainly looked at the depth chart, or at least they're aware of what the depth chart looks like. And on that defensive line, you'll notice all the oars So many, you know, this player or that player on the first and second lines of the depth chart. So many either or situations. So it just shows how unsettled, you know, how much of an unfinished product the defensive line is heading into week one. And, you know, it makes sense. Like Corey Foreman's been injured. Romello Heights has been injured. Now Height says he's ready to go. That's great news. But, you know, a lot of guys have not gotten a full amount of reps in practice. So, they're a little bit behind on their development, not because of lack of effort, not because, you know, of any, any personal qualities, but just because they haven't been 100% healthy. And so, Alex Grinch and Lincoln Riley have both expressed concern that, you know, you have to practice, get those reps so that you're ready to play at the expected level, at the expected standard. So, there are just so many questions on that defensive front. And when I look at this USC season, Nara, that week four game at Oregon State—that is such an important game. The Utah game is going to get a ton of publicity. The Notre Dame game is going to get a ton of coverage, of course, but I think the Oregon State game is really the hinge point. Like that's the that's where the season's either going to turn for the better or worse. Because you know we know that USC has stumbled in Corvallis in the past. Great Pete Carroll teams with national championship ambitions—they couldn't win in Research Stadium. And so that Oregon State game, it's early, you know, it's week four, it's late September. So getting back to this discussion about the USC defense, you know, what's Oregon State's strength? It's the offensive line. It's the running game. So USC's defense has to be strong enough up front, maybe not play a dominant game. No one's going to expect that, but just be reasonably good enough to neutralize the Oregon State running game. Because if USC's defensive line gets pancaked, In that week four game against Oregon State. What does that mean? It means that the Beavers are going to have the ball for 38, 39 minutes. Caleb Williams is going to watch that game on the sideline. And he won't be able to get enough possessions or plays to ring up, you know, a ton of points. Like Oregon State is built to beat this USC team, given the weaknesses on that defensive line. So all the focus is really on that unit and its ability to be ready for that showdown against Oregon State in week four. If USC gets over that gets past that landmine in Corvallis. Rest of the schedule, you know, minus that Utah game looks great. If USC beats Oregon State, very good odds that USC goes 8-1 and in the Pac-12. And that means what? You're getting to the Pac-12 title game. It means you're almost certainly winning 10 games, which means a New Year's Six Bowl. Winning that Oregon State game gets USC to a lot of its goals this season. And so the defensive line has to be prepared enough for that upcoming battle. So in many ways, if we go into this rice game in this first weekend, USC is defensive line is fighting against not just rice. It's fighting against the clock three weeks to get ready, you know, September 3rd up until September 24 USC's defensive line needs to be ready for September 24.
0: And behind that, Front four, we're going to have a couple of transfers at linebackers playing uh, big roles. You got Shane Lee coming in from Alabama, also named the team captain, and Eric Gentry, the Arizona State transfer. They're holding down the linebacker positions to begin the season. And then the back end, you've got two good young safeties, Max Williams, Kalen Bullock. The cornerbacks might be a little bit of an issue. Sierra Wright, youth there, and Mackay Blackman. So we'll see. Against the high powered passing teams, if they can hold up there. Looking at the special teams, no special teams coordinator named by Lincoln Riley. Those duties will be split among some of the coaches. And all new specialists. Punter Aiden Sleep Dalton takes over for fellow Australian Ben Griffiths. And walk on redshirt freshman kicker Dennis Lynch beat out the redshirt senior Alex Stathouse to replace Parker Lewis, who transferred over to Ohio State. And also a new long snapper with Jack Casasante taking over for the five-year starter, Damon Johnson. So we'll see how those units hold up as well, with a lot of new guys coming in. And you've touched on the schedule a little bit. Let's break it down. After Rice, it's the usual early season game against Stanford, this time up at the farm. And then a sneaky tough game at home against Fresno State, followed by that pivotal Oregon State game in Corvallis, as you mentioned. and then. Two home games against Arizona State and Washington State before the big road trip up to Salt Lake City to take on the Pac-12 favorite Utah Utes. Then the open week in the middle of the season that USC likes to have. And then on the road to Tucson against the Arizona Wildcats. A couple of home games against Cal and Colorado. And the Colorado game is going to be a Friday night game, so that could be dangerous. And then the big rivals to finish off the season at the Rose Bowl against the Bruins, and then the Notre Dame Fighting Irish come to the Coliseum on Thanksgiving weekend. So besides that Oregon State matchup, what else are you looking at that USC has to do to get to that 9-10 win that everyone expects them, it seems, to do this season?
1: Yeah, I think the one other game that's really worth circling and paying attention to is Washington State. Now, of course, we know that even though USC had a bad year last year, The Trojans were able to throttle Washington State on the road in Pullman. So, you know, just viewed through that prism, Nara, it could be very easy to write off that game and just dismiss it as, of course, USC is going to win. But, but Jake Dickert did a good job of keeping that team together after Nick Rolovich was pushed out because he wouldn't take the COVID vaccine in midseason. That team could have splintered, you know, a head coach getting pushed out, very controversial, emotional circumstance. But Jake Dicker kept that unit together, and so that was very impressive. Washington State is a very good defense; they are well coached, they're in the right position, and now Washington State gets Amron Ward, a transfer from an FCS program. So some people might minimize the value of this incoming transfer, but a lot of the NFL scouts, talent evaluators, think that Cam Ward has a lot of upside. So USC has to at least be prepared for the possibility that Cam Ward could be special and maybe he won't be consistently great, but if he has a really good day, you know, that's a potential problem for USC. I'm not picking Washington state to win that game, but that's another landmark. That is another game that has the potential to be thorny, but other than, you know, the Oregon state and that Washington state game that I just talked about, man, I feel very comfortable about USC in nearly every PAC 12 game, I certainly think USC is a a lot better than UCLA. And, you know, Chip Kelly just, you know, he seems to be running out of energy and running out of ideas. And I know you have Dorian Thompson Robinson coming back at quarterback. UCLA does have a good offensive line, but Chip Kelly is just so far below his Oregon standard. Just he has lost the mustard on his fastball. UCLA's defense is not ready for prime time. I think Caleb Williams is going to just absolutely go bonkers against the Bruins. And you look elsewhere in the Pac-12, Nara, Arizona State's going to be bad, you know, with all the exodus of quality players from that program because of the looming NCAA sanctions that are going to hit at some point. Arizona won one game last year. So, you know, the Wildcats, even if they're better, they're still going to be just like a four or five win team. Colorado, that situation looks pretty bleak under Carl Durrell. There's a lot of, you know, soft tissue in the Pac-12 especially in what used to be the Pac-12 South and we don't have the divisions this year it's all about just you know finishing in the top two of the league to make the conference title game but you know Colorado Arizona Arizona State also Cal Cal is going to be terrible this year just lost Brett Johnson its best defensive player so that's those are a lot of soft games on the USC schedule and the great thing about that is like you can play Miller Moss in those games like not starting of course but Milton should be able to get a lot of second half snaps in those games after Caleb Williams takes a blowtorch to those opponents and USC's up by 28 points midway through the third quarter. There are several games where USC should be able to get a huge lead and then give backups a lot of meaningful minutes in second halves. And that can actually keep the starters healthy and fresh for the bigger games on the schedule. So really, if we're looking at sand traps on the schedule, you know, Fresno State, Could also get really thorny in week three. Fresno State won at UCLA in September of last year. So that's a game that has to be taken seriously. Fresno State out of conference. And then the Oregon State and Washington State games within the conference. Those three games, you know, in terms of the non notre Dame, non-Utah games, kind of the ambush games, those are the three ones that I'd look at.
0: All right. A couple of yes-no questions for you to get you on the record, Matt Zemek. Does USC win the Pac 12 title this year? Yes. Does USC make the college football playoff this year? No. All right. So we're splitting on those. A Pac 12 championship prediction, but not making the CFP for USC this year. And, you know, I'm still not sure that they're going to win the Pac 12 title. I think it's all set up there by the schedule as we've broken down. But USC with so many new pieces, new coaching staff, I just feel like one of those sand traps may swallow them and cost them a chance to win the Pac-12. But as long as they can make it in the top two, you never know, and we'll see who they end up facing, whether it is a Utah or an Oregon or another team that may sneak up there. So this is the Everything USC podcast on Believe. I'm Nara Wang. My guest today, the editor of Trojans Wire, Matt Zemek. If you enjoy listening to the show, subscribe, download, and rate it wherever you get your favorite podcasts, or go to the website Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media, at Believe Network. I can be found on Twitter, at Nara Wang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Matt, how do they catch up with you and Trojans Wire?
1: Yeah, trojanswire.usatoday.com, and also just our Twitter handle, TrojansWire for plenty of coverage of the Rice game and everything else pertaining to USC football this upcoming season. Hey, everyone, this is Chuck Arfine of NBC Sports Chicago and proud USC alum, and you're listening to the Everything USC podcast with Dara Wang on the
0: Now let's dive a little bit deeper into game number one against the Rice Owls, paying a visit to the Coliseum for the first time since 1948. They were also 4-8 and eight last season, like the Trojans, went 3-5 and five in Conference USA. The last time these two teams met was actually in 1971 at Rice Stadium, a 24-0 USC shutout. The game on Saturday at 3 p.m. Pacific time on the Pac-12 network and can be heard on the Trojan radio network, KABC 790 AM, the flagship station in Los Angeles. And the head coach for Rice is someone who is familiar with USC from his days as the Stanford Offensive Coordinator, Mike Bloomgren. 11-31 and 31 record, entering his fifth season at Rice. USC leads the all-time series with two wins and one tie in the very first game back in 1947. Looking at some of the key players for Rice on offense, they're going to start a fifth year junior quarterback, Wiley Green. He's had a lot of injuries in his career, so he gets the start for the Owls. Their starting running back, another fifth-year junior, Ari Broussard out of New Orleans, 569 yards rushing to lead the team last year, had three touchdowns as well. At wide receiver, they were expecting to have Tulsa transfer Sam Crawford, who had over a 1,000 yards for the Golden Hurricane in 2021, but he was forced to medically retire. Before this season. So, their top guy might be a familiar name to people. Luke McCaffrey, fourth year sophomore who was a quarterback, switched to wide receiver in the spring. He transferred in 2020 after finishing that season at Nebraska. He is, of course, the son of former NFL star receiver Ed McCaffrey and the brother of former Stanford star and current Carolina Panthers running back Christian McCaffrey. So, some big names there. And on the defensive side, defensive end and Enechukwu is on the 2022 Outland Trophy watch list. He had 48 tackles, 8 for loss, 4.5 sacks last season. He's a fifth-year junior as well. Their leading returning tackler from 2021 is a fourth-year sophomore, the rush linebacker Josh Piercy. He had 58 tackles, 7.5 of those for a loss, and also had 4.5 sacks last year and fifth year junior viper linebacker for sean chamberlain has 156 career tackles but he only played three games last season and of course the 2020 season didn't count toward his eligibility that's why he's still just a junior in his fifth year after being a all-freshman player in conference usa in 2018 so matt no one expects rice to win but can this collection cause the Trojans any trouble at all on Saturday?
1: We're not really sure of that, but I think the way to approach this is we certainly can't dismiss that as a possibility. And that's only because, you know, we haven't seen this team play together. We haven't seen this USC team composed of so many transfers, so many different pieces from outside the program. And, you know, we know that this was a necessity that you didn't want to take all of Clay Helton's leftovers, just a few, just some, and be very targeted about that. So, you know, a lot of players were encouraged to transfer out and then that left a a lot of spaces for players to transfer in. And by the end of the season, it should be a great product. But in September, you know, you're probably going to see some rough edges, or at least it's reasonable to think that there will be some rough edges, especially on defense. So it's really less about what Rice brings to the table and more about how we need to see this USC team mesh. We need to see this USC team. Come together, actually display good communication, display good responses to adversity and negative in game developments. That's the kind of thing we need to be mindful of, is just that USC hasn't arrived. You know, Lincoln Riley has arrived, but USC hasn't. We need to actually see this team take the steps, do the work, achieve the results. Then we're going to have, you know, the second coming of Pete Carroll, maybe even better than that. But until it actually happens, we need to see it on the field. So that's the simple answer, Nara, is that we need to see all these different parts, all these different pieces of the puzzle come together, play together, be together, show the cohesion, show the togetherness, show the good instincts of a well-coached physical football team. We just need to see it. And until we do, we always have to leave the door open that you know things aren't going to go as well as we might hope. It's a late afternoon
0: start at the Coliseum, and temperatures could be reaching triple digits. Do you expect a lot of players to be cycled in and out for USC, not just because the coaching staff wants to see who can play, but also because of the weather?
1: Absolutely, no. That's a, such a great question, such a great point. Because I think if it was a you know a comfortable seventy-seven degree day at the Coliseum and weather was pleasant. And not really a factor, you know, before Labor Day, we're still in summer. I don't think there would be any concerns about having to rearrange the game plan or the approach. But now with that weather, you know, you have Stanford in week two. You do not want players to be overextended in the heat. You don't want any player to be in a position where, you know, fatigue is a, is an acute issue. And you, know, you could have a well-conditioned team, but not having played a single game this year, and you have to step into a 96-degree broiler for the first game, it's important to cycle players in and out. Now, of course, there's the benefit of getting a look at a lot of different guys if you you have an approach of playing a lot of different players. But I do think that the weather will affect the approach. Like I think that the biggest effect the weather is going to have on this game is that you're either going to see more running plays or you're also just going to see – USC try to get as big a lead as quickly as possible and then put it on cruise control as soon as possible so that the second half can be played very quickly, you know, without really having to do anything related to the scoreboard. I do think that USC is going to probably try to shorten the game a little bit more than it otherwise normally would. You know, in a normal situation with Lincoln Riley, having seen him in Oklahoma having seen what the Sooners did, you know, that offense getting more plays. More possessions, more time with the ball, more chances to score. That's normally how Lincoln Riley wants it. But in this heat situation, I think that's a mitigating factor. I think it's going to make him want to, you know, shorten the game, have fewer plays, fewer possessions, so that this team is fresh for that very critical Pac 12 opener against Stanford one week later. This is why Rice is on the schedule. You want to be able to have the leeway, the cushion. To be able to manage a situation in different directions as needed. So the weather is the plot complication this week. And I think playing rice affords Lincoln Riley the ability to not have to ride his starters too long. I think that's a real opportunity in this game. I would say specifically that if USC can be up 28 by halftime, then you know you can play Miller Moss. You know, I really hope that he gets at least a quarter, if not 20 minutes. And is able to take a few shots downfield, and, and you'll genuinely play quarterback. You know he's going to hand the ball off most of the time, but at least give him some some chance to display what he can do. Because coaches really liked him in August camp; they thought that he really uh, evolved. And obviously, the one thing USC can't afford more than anything else is Caleb Williams getting hurt. But Rice on the schedule, this is exactly the kind of game in which you want to see Miller Moss get some real minutes. You can't really say this to the same extent about any other game on USC's schedule. Now, you know, the games against the bottom of the Pac-12, Colorado, Arizona, Arizona State, yeah, he might get some minutes there, but Rice is like should be kind of the guarantee where he can absolutely get some meaningful minutes. So I think he's going to cycle through regardless, but I think that there's more of an emphasis on doing that because of the weather. I don't think there's much of a question about it.
0: All right, it's game number one. There's not a ton to break down. Both teams playing the first game. A lot of differences with USC's roster from last year to this year. So let's get right to the predictions. That's what everyone cares about anyway, Matt. So if you remember from last year, we begin with the players that we believe in. Basically, the Trojan that we think is going to play the best in the game, followed by the game score prediction, and then a prop bet of our choosing. And I am running on a good streak. I've won the last two years against the guests. I won the year before that on the old, believe, in USC football show against Frosty Rucker. So I'm feeling good about myself in doing these predictions. So I'll start it off as always, the players that we believe in, the player I believe in this week against Rice for USC. I'm just going to keep it simple. It's going to be the quarterback, Caleb Williams, in his debut as a Trojan. I'm guessing that he's going to be the Trojan MVP for this game. Matt, who are you picking?
1: You know, I was going to go in a different direction. So I'm thrilled that you took Caleb Williams because that, that just makes it easy. I'm going to go with Travis Dye. And I think that, you know, the USC's offensive line, those guys, you know, are ready to roll. You know, they've heard the whispers about, you know, is USC's offensive line a question mark? I think those guys are going to hammer Rice up front and that's going to make a big day for Travis Dye, you know, who he'll split some carries with Austin Jones and the other members of the offensive backfield. But I think in the first, 15, 20 minutes of the game, you're going to see Travis Die go off. I think he'll bust at least one big run, and you might also see him catch a pass out of the backfield and take it a good distance. So Travis Die is kind of my player here against Rice. With you know USC, I think you don't want to open up the playbook too much. That's another thing. You don't want David Shaw to get too much of a look at your playbook. So I think this is a running back game, actually, for USC. I don't think you're going to see an aerial show. I think you'll see a few highlights. Certainly, you'll see Jordan Addison make a big play. You'll see Mario Williams make a big play. But I think Travis Dye is going to make more impactful plays for USC. All right. So I'm going with
0: the QB, Caleb Williams. And Matt is taking Travis Dye, the running back transfer from Oregon. And the game score and winner, Matt, go ahead. I'll let you go first on this.
1: Well, you know, in this day and age, we're all focused on betting lines and spreads and odds and those kinds of things. Like that has just become a saturation item in the industry. So I'm going to assume that everyone listening to your podcast, Nara, pretty much knows what the various odds are. So I'm going to say that USC wins by 30. I think USC is not going to get a super duper blowout by like 50 points precisely because of the weather. And you're going to see the Trojans downshift. In the second half, after they get the big lead, I think it's a game where you're going to see some coasting to the finish line in the fourth quarter and just try and end the game as quickly as possible. If the game was played under more comfortable conditions, you know, I'd be much more inclined to think that USC absolutely blows the doors off, you know, at the level of 45, 50, 55 points. But I'm going to say 30. So USC, I want need to get a 30 point margin here. 37-7 over Rice.
0: 37-7 is Matt's pick. And I should mention, of course, Online, a sponsor of the show, has USC as a 32-point favorite as we record this. And I also don't think that USC is going to cover that big spread. I do have them scoring a few more points, but I think the defense is still going to work out some kinks. I think they're going to give up some scores. So I've got a 45-20 Trojan victory against the Rice Owls. So 25 point margin for me. And then we go to our prop bet pick. For me, it's always Nara's no doubter. And in this game, I think we're going to see a defensive or special teams touchdown scored. Could be by either team, but I think we're going to see a non-offensive score in this game. So that's Nara's no doubter for week number one. Last year, Matt, you called yours Zemix zigzag. Are you keeping that name or do you got a new one for me this year? And what is the prop that you're picking?
1: I'd say we have to change the culture, you know, from Clay Helton to Lincoln Riley. So let's just say the Zemeck zone. That's the new label for this year. All right. My pick on the Zemeck zone is Travis Die to get 100 yards rushing and a touchdown. So
0: Travis Die getting at least 100 yards rushing and a touchdown on the day.
1: Absolutely. Let's do a little two-leg action with Travis Dye. His two legs are going to do a lot of work.
0: All right. So to recap the predictions, the players we believe in, I'm going with Caleb Williams. Matt is going to go with Travis Dye. We're both picking guys making their Trojan debuts. The game score, I've got 45-20 USC. Matt's going 37-7 for the Trojans. And in the prop bets, Nara's no doubter is that there will be a defensive or special teams touchdown scored in the game, and the Zemeck zone is that Travis Die will get at least 100 yards rushing and a touchdown in the game. And last year, I beat you, Matt, in the predictions, so this is your chance to get a little revenge against me this year.
1: You know, as long as USC wins, if you have the upper hand over me, I will not mind. Like, that will be a price definitely worth paying. If you win the picks against me and USC wins the Pac-12, I will sign on the dotted line for that deal.
0: Deal. I'm with you on that. And, of course, this is the Everything USC Podcast on Believe. You can subscribe, download, and rate this show on all of your favorite podcast directories, whether it's Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, TuneIn, and many more or go to the website Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media, at Believe Network. For me, I can be found on Twitter, at Nara Wang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. And, Matt, where can they find you and Trojans Wire?
1: Yeah, trojanswire.usatoday.com, and on Twitter, at the Twitter account, Trojans Wire. No space, no underscore... Following our stories and our content and our coverage of USC, which includes uh, you know our we have a weekly podcast in USC football and all sorts of different projects, including our summer series, the Riley Files. If you Google the Riley Files, you'll get links to our episodes and to our stories on that special twelve-part podcast series. This is Steve Lavin, former UCLA and St. John's basketball coach, and you're listening to the Everything USC Podcast with Nara Wang on the Believe Network.
0: And finally, before I let you go, Matt Zemick, editor of Trojans Wire, I've got to ask you about the decision that was made that broke in late June about USC and UCLA deciding to make the move to the Big Ten Conference effective in 2024. This seemed to have come out of nowhere. It was very well kept under wraps when you heard about it. How surprising was it to you, and is it the right decision for these two schools to leave the Pac-12 for the Big Ten?
1: Uh, So when it that happened on June 30, Nara, I mean, there was a wave of emotions and a lot of different thoughts. One was that, oh, like they went ahead and did it, like so it wasn't completely off the radar for me, given that you know we know that the Pac-12 was struggling financially and that you know it wasn't going to be able to compete with Fox and the Big Ten and ESPN and the SEC, so. You know, I was surprised it, it did happen right now, like USC and UCLA to the Big Ten. Like, that's not something you're expecting. So it was unexpected to a certain degree, but it wasn't like the most surprising thing ever, because you could see it, that the Pac-12 was structurally weak. And this was whispered like it, this was an industry rumor, you know, 12 months ago, 13 months ago, after Texas and Oklahoma went to the SEC, I mean, we all wondered in the college sports industry, Okay, what's the next big move going to be now that you have Texas and Oklahoma creating a 16 team SEC? You know, the idea that there were going to be larger size mega conferences, that there were going to be there was going to be more consolidation among the power five conferences. Like those were realities. Kind of, It's kind of like the college football playoff announcement that we're going to 12 teams. That was completely unsurprising. Like it's obvious that there was going to be at least 12 teams because ESPN and Fox need to make all that money. They need to have more games. They're not going to stay with a four team playoff. They're going to create a lot more playoff games to make more money. So it's similar with USC that even though the Big 10, you know, destroyed geography in college sports, it's not as though that geography was still, you know, fully intact. Like, you know, you have West Virginia playing Texas Tech and that's in the same conference. You've had other far flung arrangements and conferences like you have South Florida and Navy You know, both in the same conference in the AAC, and you have Miami and Syracuse both in the ACC, which is also much more geographically expansive than it used to be. So, yes, USC and UCLA playing in the Big Ten, that is different geographically. But when you get down to it, Nara, and in terms of, you know, looking at it from USC's vantage point, if a TV network says, here, here's tens of millions of extra dollars per year for several years. We're just giving you this massive stack of revenue that you're going to enjoy and benefit from. No one's going to turn it down. Carol Fultz not going to turn it down. If any other USC president had been in that situation, they weren't going to turn it down either because the PAC 12 was not in position to offer remotely comparable television revenue. That's just the lay of the land. That's just the reality that we had. And uh, George Kliavkov, you know, he was not going to be able to do anything to reverse this. And I know that. You know, he didn't offer USC an unequal, uneven cut, you know, an extra cut of revenue. Even if he had, it still wouldn't have been enough. The hay was out of the barn and this was already set in motion. And so I don't like the move in that it destroys the Rose Bowl's Big Ten versus Pac-12 tradition. And the future of the Rose Bowl is just going to be, it's just going to be one of several playoff games. You know, it's just going to be one game among many. And that cuts against tradition and it makes me sad. But USC is not the villain here. USC is just doing what any other school would obviously and naturally do. And, you know, this is the fault of Larry Scott and the conference presidents and chancellors, you know, who allowed the Pac 12 to descend into this very fragile state where USC and and UCLA pretty much had to make this move because you're not going to turn down all that money. And you're also not going to turn down the association with all these premier academic and research institutions in the Big Ten. That didn't get a ton of publicity. But Carol Folt being aligned with the Big Ten and with Ann Arbor and Columbus, all these other uh, research institutions, like that's viewed as a prize in academia. And that didn't receive nearly as much coverage as it probably should have. So, yeah, it was surprising. Like I would be lying to you if I said I expected it. But I also am not going to sit here and tell you, Nara, or your listeners, that this was completely out of left field because you could obviously see some signs and some pressure points pointing to this occurrence.
0: Yeah, as a USC alum, as a guy who grew up in Northern California following Act 12 sports, it's a disappointing move, but financially, it's a no-brainer. Like you said, you're not going to turn down the extra money you're going to make by being a part of the Big Ten with their new media deal. And so I get it from the financial standpoint. And USC was only going to make the move if they could get a partner. That partner turned out to be UCLA because UCLA just basically said, we're going to make the move and we'll ask the Board of Regents for permission afterwards. So they're not going to worry about asking beforehand. And once they know all the money that's going to come into the UC system, they'll let us do it. So we'll see how it all turns out for USC and UCLA playing in what I'm going to call the new Manifest Destiny Conference. It stretches from C to Shining C now, the Big Ten does. And so last thing, what do you think this does to the Pac-12 conference? Will it survive as a Pac-10 or is it going to just be broken up for parts?
1: Yeah, I think the Pac-10 probably will expand back to the Pac-12. I think San Diego State at some point is going to find its way into the Pac-12 because it's become pretty obvious from the industry analysts and the backroom chatter that you've heard over the past two months since the UCLA-USC move to the Big Ten that you know, the Pac-12 has to have a footprint has to have a foothold, I should say, in Southern California. And that's what San Diego State provides. And its academics, while certainly not on par with some of the other elite Pac-12 institutions, they're, the, the academics there are not bad. So San Diego State almost certainly makes its way in. And I would imagine there's going to be another partner. Like It could be the Pac-11. Like There's no law saying that you have to have an even number of teams. But I imagine that's probably going to be the case, that there will be some other partner That would make it 12. It could be Fresno State, could be SMU. You could also see Gonzaga invited for basketball only. So not sure which one of those three is the most likely, but I definitely think San Diego State will make its way into a revised Pac-12 at some point. I do think the conference will survive because it has that late night game inventory. And I know Pac-12 fans hate it, but just in terms of thinking about this from ESPN's point of view, having that 10 p.m. Eastern window No other conference has that. And so when you have something no other conference has, that is valuable in the television marketplace or any other marketplace. So that's going to enable the Pac-12 to survive. So I, I think that the worries about extinction were really legitimate in the first two to three weeks. You know, was a panic move going to happen? Would a school bail, you know, go to the Big 12? Was somebody in the room going to panic? Was somebody in the room going to blink in a stare down? And I think we once we got past those two, three weeks, everything began to calm down, quiet down. And so now we're at a point where, you know, since ESPN has been completely shut out of any Big Ten media rights, that ESPN now has a lot of money and a lot of incentive to want to broadcast Pac-12 football. And that is going to keep Pac-12 alive. So the conference is not going to die. And it's probably not going to be broken up, rated by the Big 12 either. The Pac-12, you know, will be weakened. You know, USC's brand is was undeniably the biggest brand in the conference. And so that is going to hurt. Like we can't overlook or deny that. But the Pac-12 still will have a future, maybe as the fifth strongest Power Five conference, but it will exist. and, And that is a lot better than a lot of people were thinking in the first few weeks of July.
0: Yeah, ESPN will have an exclusive window here to negotiate with the Pac-12 for the new grant of rights going forward in the next contract, and you would expect them to try and come to some sort of deal to keep, like you said, that inventory of games for the late night window here on Pac-12 After Dark. So Matt, again, always great to have you on the show to discuss USC sports.
1: Always a pleasure, Nara. Thank you for having me.
0: For my guest, Matt Zemeck, editor of Trojans Wire, I'm Nara Wang. Thanks for joining us for episode 60 of the Everything USC podcast presented by Online On Believe, the number one content network for professionals, the place to find a sports or pop culture show for passionate fan bases across multiple platforms. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? And as always, I end every show with a hearty fight on.